has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Did you know that botulinum toxin, known by many as Botox, can reduce pain? I know what you're thinking. Isn't Botox just for wrinkles or cosmetic procedures? Actually, botulinum toxin injections are among the most commonly performed cosmetic procedures in the United States. But botulinum toxin is used to treat a variety of other conditions, including pain. It's FDA approved for chronic migraine, muscle overactivity conditions like arm or leg spasticity, and even an excessive sweating disorder called hyperhidrosis. In pain medicine, botulinum toxin can ease myofascial pain syndromes, chronic low back pain, and neuropathic pain. Although using botulinum toxin for pain conditions other than migraine is considered off-label, the literature strongly points to effectiveness for several painful disorders. We'll highlight one of these today, trigeminal neuralgia. Trigeminal neuralgia is one of the most painful of human conditions. It peaks between the ages of 50 to 70, feels like a shockwave traveling down one side of the face, can last up to two minutes, and can occur multiple times a day. Eating, speaking, even shaving often worsens the pain. Medicines, radiation surgery, even neurosurgery can help, but not all the time. We'll hear how botulinum toxin has made a big difference in the life of our first guest, Kathleen Sullivan. She had three years of life-limiting facial pain from trigeminal neuralgia. Today, she's remarkably better, all from Botox therapy. Dr. Charles Argoff then joins us. He's a professor of neurology and director of the Comprehensive Pain Center at Albany Medical Center. He'll share cutting-edge information about the benefits of Botox for treating pain. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Teva Pharmaceuticals, The Pain Community, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Kathy Sullivan has suffered for three years with trigeminal neuralgia. Botox has changed her life, though. Let's find out how. Kathy, welcome to Aches and Gains. Oh, thank you for inviting me to be on your program. Oh, you're welcome. You have a condition called trigeminal neuralgia that causes facial pain. Could you describe what it's like to have that condition? It's excruciating, debilitating, and until my treatment plan changed, I had been robbed of one year of living. And my entire life was affected. I could no longer commit to anything family-wise or professionally. 
Well, absolutely life-changing. When did it all begin? I have had it since November of 2013. Where in the face do you feel the symptoms? It's on the right side of my face, and my understanding of the trigeminal nerve, and I'm sure you'll get into this, is that it has three branches, one along your lower jaw, one basically a mid-cheek, and then one around your eye. Mm-hmm. And for me, it has always been the lower jaw. And on occasional bad days, um, all three branches will be affected. Well, I have patients that typically just have pain in one division of that trigeminal nerve. So to have it in all three has got to be terrible. There are usually trigger zones like the cheek, the lip, the nose, or sometimes inside the mouth. What triggers your pain? It, it was just about everything that you do in your daily living. I couldn't laugh. I couldn't smile. I couldn't talk. I couldn't eat. I couldn't wash my face. Hmm. If I took a shower, I had to make sure the right side of my face was nowhere near the water. I couldn't brush my teeth. I couldn't go for a walk without having my face so wrapped in scarves and shawls uh, to protect it from the wind. So every aspect of daily living was impacted. What a tremendous burden. Kathy, how long is each attack? In the beginning, my episodes of pain were lengthy. They would be five minutes, 10 minutes. None of them were brief. Today, they are far briefer. They're more like sticking your finger in a socket and pulling it right out, Mm -hmm. you know, a sudden blast. You know, five to 10 minutes is very, very long to be in such pain. I really don't know how you endured that. What kind of a pain is it? Is it a shooting pain, electric-like sensation, or lightning-like? That first year, it was an electric-like pain that was unrelenting. Mm. It was not stabbing. It came, and it stayed, and it would generally taper off and then disappear into the night. Uh, Kathy, you mentioned earlier that you feel it primarily shooting down from your ear to the jawbone. Did you feel it anywhere else? My tongue, part of my palate would be where it primarily was centered. What about in the other divisions, like the first or second division of the trigeminal nerve? I believe the first division is would be the ocular. That's right. Right around your eyeball, it would just shoot in that direction. And for the second branch, it would be primarily mid-cheek and uh, essential my nose, like the, mm-hmm. the whole right side of my nose. God, I've seen patients with this condition, and I know it's torture. It was torture. You know, patients that I've seen will have periods of attacks for weeks or months with remissions that can last months or even years. How about you? That first year, I couldn't count the number of times a day. The only relief I got was when I slept gratefully because my understanding is that some people don't even get relief when they sleep. Mm -hmm. But if my mouth twitched or if I swallowed or if I sneezed or coughed, anything would trigger it. Yeah. It would be so much easier if you knew that if I brush my teeth, I will be in pain. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know is just exactly when my trigger was going to hit and how long it would last. And so there was no way you could develop any sort of dependency or consistency on when you would be hit by this. Mm-hmm. That lack of predictability makes everyday activities really, really tough. Kathy, How had trigeminal neuralgia impacted your life at that time? I couldn't plan to watch my grandchildren. I couldn't plan to go away for the weekend. I couldn't buy an airplane ticket to go fly out to see one of my children. Right. I just felt like I spent that year sitting in my office, basically alone, carrying on with the activities of daily living, you know, mm-hmm. doing the laundry, going to work. Um, I actually wound up taking a leave of absence from work and ultimately lost my job. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. 
Now, you were diagnosed uh, by history and physical examination, as well as an MRI that demonstrated nerve compression by an artery. And by the way, the MRI is important here because it excludes brain tumors and multiple sclerosis as causes of shooting facial pain. You elected not to have the surgery, which is called a microvascular decompression. Why? Because I was so fortunate to have a neurologist on my side who said, do you want to give this a try? And this was Botox. Mm -hmm. I had been on uh, Horizon. I still am on Horizon. I don't know how much pain relief I got from it because I still had constant pain. So I don't know if it minimized the intensity of the pain or the frequency. I think that's kind of hard to judge. Now, you mentioned Horizon, which is gabapentin, and you were, I know, also on prednisone, which gave you transient relief. You also tried carbamazepine, which is known as Tegretol, the FDA-approved treatment for trigeminal neuralgia, but unfortunately, it led to depression, and it wasn't helpful at all for you. You tried topical lidocaine, but unfortunately, that wasn't helpful either. In terms of the integrative or alternative therapies, acupuncture had sort of a reverse effect for you in the sense that I think it led to two hours of intense pain after a treatment. And you did mention that craniosacral massage provided some relief, though. And you decided against uh, gamma knife, glycerol rhizolysis, and radiofrequency ablation because you felt the pain would return after each one of those interventions. But you came upon botulinum toxin, or Botox, for your facial pain. Tell us about that. When I mentioned to Dr. Argoff that this is what the path I was looking at, he said, would you like to try this? I have done it with a few other patients. I have had a lot of success with it. And who would not choose... <laughs> a few shots over neurosurgery. I didn't think (laughs) it was a decision that required a lot of thought. Before we introduce Dr. Argoff, take us through the process of having Botox injected into your face. Oh, I'll tell you, Dr. Argoff was so sweet. He gave me a prescription for lidocaine cream to put on my face before I saw him. The Botox injections were, the first time, probably a series of 20 or 25 Mm -hmm. injections He starts by saying, where are you experiencing your pain? And then he targets those areas. The needle is so tiny. It's kind of like bee stings, I think. Mm -hmm. Is there discomfort? Absolutely. I would have put it for me between a zero and a one. Mm -hmm. And in the scheme of things, that's not very painful. Kathy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. You are welcome. Very welcome. Please join us next time when we hear much more about how long the Botox lasts, how much pain relief Kathy gets from it, and how it's changed her life. Up next is Dr. Charles Argoff, pain specialist and neurologist. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Dr. Charles Argoff is a professor of neurology at Albany Medical College and director of the Comprehensive Pain Center at Albany Medical Center. Dr. Argoff, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you for having me. What is botulinum toxin? Botulinum toxin is a very potent neurotoxin. Mm -hmm. Botulinum toxin literally 
interrupts the ability of a nerve to uh, transmit information. And historically, it's been thought of as a toxin that can cause significant muscle paralysis. Well, and it's also produced by a bacterium called Clostridium botulinum. The bacterium produces spores that are, I think, often found in the soil and water and leads to botulism and, and botulinum poisoning, which can be really lethal in just very small doses. And Charles, talk to us about how botulinum toxin actually provides pain relief. A lead scientific team at the company that makes Botox developed a program to evaluate whether, in fact, besides having muscle effects, there were effects on pain. Mm-hmm. The onobotulinum toxin A, one of the botulinum toxins, actually inhibits CGRP, which is a very important neurotransmitter for pain and headache, substance P, and glutamate, Mm -hmm. and maybe even others. This said, wait a second, (laughs) this toxin may have many more uses than we thought it did. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Initially, it was thought that Botox or botulinum toxin just uh, promoted muscle relaxation and that that was the main means of pain relief. But animal studies have shown that it can alter pain by blocking those pain mediators or transmitters that you mentioned. Not only animal studies, but also now in human models of experimental pain, Mm -hmm. it's been shown to be able to inhibit pain. Now, the FDA has approved two subtypes, botulinum toxin A, known as Botox, and botulinum toxin B. B, known as myoblock. You know, Charles, some of my patients have referred to Botox as the miracle poison. Is it? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it can be, and it often is. And I wouldn't think that your patients were characterizing it in many instances inappropriately because for some individuals, it is the treatment that has changed their life. Seriously. Yes, it has. And in general, are you using Botox as a standalone therapy or with other pain therapies? That's a wonderful question. (laughs) Half it is and half it isn't. Uh If you look at a condition like chronic migraine, Botox may be the treatment that now allows a person to have not 15 headache days in a month, but one or two. Right. That one or two may now be completely treatable with acetaminophen, ibuprofen, one of the triptan, you know, specific migraine-directed medications, mm-hmm. and it's like no big deal for that yeah. person right. anymore. Um, botulinum toxins can and have been used for other pain conditions as well. And yeah, and that's important to recognize. Well, and we're going to talk about uh, those other pain conditions later on. Uh, Charles, what are the benefits of Botox compared to other medications like opioids, anti-epileptic medications, and tricyclic antidepressant medications that we often use for pain control? It's amazing because you can get equal or better benefit than some of the medicines that you mentioned without the risks. Mm-hmm, exactly. I, I like botulinum toxic because it targets other receptors. The effects are often long lasting, you know, somewhere between three to five months. It could minimize prescription drugs that are taken, lead to fewer doctor visits, and fewer hospital admissions. That's fascinating you bring that up. That may allow a person to actually have lower health care utilization, lower costs mm-hmm. overall, and more function. Right. I have treated one person with trigeminal neuralgia once, and they never needed to be treated again. Wow. Maybe one or two people with migraine, maybe one or two people with uh, very severe low back pain mm-hmm. associated with muscle spasm. But that's not common. No, it's not very common in my experience either, but it's great to hear. 
Dr. Argoff, how long do the benefits of Botox typically last? Because in my experience, uh, it's about three months. I mean, in, on some occasions, I've seen it last longer than that, up to even six months. Clinically, the observation is that the analgesic benefit most often lasts approximately 10 to 12 weeks, more like 10, 11. Yet the FDA uh, tells us that we need to wait every 12 weeks before we perform subsequent Botox injections. Uh, Charles, tell us, what's the story behind that? The way that the drug was developed originally for strabismus was on an every 12-week basis. Uh And Allergan has never gone back to prove that it can be given at 10-week intervals, which really reflects reality. The original Botox had a lot of human protein attached to the toxin or albumin. Mm -hmm. Human albumin, when it's not your own albumin, can elicit an antibody response. And so there was concern in the original formulation of Botox that if you treated more frequently than 12 weeks or so, you could elicit antibodies neutralizing the toxin and, and rendering it no, no longer effective. Right. Now, um, Botox is manufactured totally differently, and the albumin, the amount of human protein in it, is it's at a point where it shouldn't be a concern. But in order for it to be officially uh, FDA-approved at less than 12 weeks, essentially, Allergan would have to go back with you know, phase one studies. I don't think there's any plan to do that. That's right. That, that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned a condition called strabismus. That's the medical term for being cross-eyed, which is a lack of coordination between the eye muscles. And Botox was initially approved to treat that condition. Now, I bet you're wondering how much Botox costs. We'll find out straight ahead. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Welcome back. We're here speaking with Dr. Charles Argoff, professor of neurology from Albany Medical College. Charles, let's talk about perhaps some of the drawbacks of botulinum toxin or, or Botox, and specifically the cost. The cost of the actual procedure, Dr. Christo, is not much. Mm -hmm. It's less than an ER. It's probably less than an urgent care visit with labs being done. And if the people who we are treating with Botox for the various pain conditions that we've spoken about already Mm -hmm. do not go to the hospital, do not get admitted, do not go to the ER, are able to function, that in itself is a cost savings. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to put something into a system to get a lot more out. Well, that's true. And in my experience, the costs vary anywhere between $250 to $500 per patient, which over the long term is low based on what you just discussed. It can sometimes also be tough to get insurance authorization for Botox. Uh, Charles, how significant is the risk of overdose with botulinum toxin that can cause paralysis or excessive muscle weakness? There are risks because of toxin spread, of swallowing difficulties, of muscle weakness, difficulty with salivating, of neck weakness, neck pain. There could be an allergic reaction. I've only seen once in my 20 plus year career using this medicine, but this can happen. Mm -hmm. But 
it is so extraordinarily uncommon to have a serious side effect. Exactly. That's my experience as well. Now, Charles, let's talk about migraine headaches. They're debilitating. They affect 12% of Americans. Uh, In fact, they are the most frequent neurological disease seen in clinical practice. And Botox is FDA-approved for chronic migraine prophylaxis. Tell us what makes a patient a candidate for this treatment. Botulinum toxin, specifically Botox, has not been shown to be an effective treatment for someone who gets one or two migraines a month, Mm -hmm. one or two migraines a week, and no other headaches. Biologically, we appear to be different if we experience 15 or more days in a month and about half of those are migraine and it occurs for a certain portion of the day for a certain period of time. And those, we really restrict our use of Botox to people who fit chronic migraine because that's where it's most likely to be beneficial. Exactly, versus episodic migraine where there's no evidence that it is actually helpful. You know, Charles, I inject Botox for patients with migraine with good results. Patients tell me that they don't get as many migraines and that when they do, the headaches really aren't as intense. What's your experience? That's a really good point. For some people, the success will be, I have fewer headaches, and even if they do occur, as you just said, they're not nearly as intense. Mm -hmm. There's multiple new treatments that are being biologically developed that may even help people more when Botox is not effective or maybe better than Botox. Yes, really exciting. And Dr. Argoff, as a neurologist, how does Botox compare to other therapies for chronic migraine? Well, interestingly, the use of oral medications, supplements, occipital nerve blocks, occipital nerve stimulation, these pale in comparison to the benefit of Botox. Wow. Wow. You know, Charles, I read one paper in which the authors concluded that Botox should be the gold standard preventive therapy for chronic migraine. What do you think? That's exactly the way we approach it. Would it make more sense to treat somebody four times a year with a really safe, although poison, <laughs> that has a greater chance of helping somebody or exposing them to an oral anticonvulsant that can poison their liver, an oral anticonvulsant that they have to take daily and remember to take daily, that can make them feel cognitively impaired, cause kidney stones, blindness, take a blood pressure medicine they don't need that can lower their blood pressure? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we know the answer to that. Uh, listen, when do you offer Botox to patients? Uh, for example, do you offer it after the traditional medications fail, like the beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, the anti-epileptics? That's a really wonderful question. I give that option to the person in front of me. And I say my preference is to treat you with Botox. Mm -hmm. But if you would like to try a different approach first, I understand that, respect that, and we can go back. But let's keep in the back of our mind that this may not be as successful as something else, and we can always reconsider. Exactly. I think that's a really good strategy. And, you know, even though there are quite a number of injections, I think 31 intramuscular injections into seven sites in the head and neck, I rarely have patients refuse continual treatments if they're getting relief. I have never had a patient tell me that they would not repeat Botox for the pain associated with the procedure. And that says it all. I have patients who tell me that Botox for chronic migraine makes a big impact on their quality of life. How about your patients? Oh my God. Story after story after story of people who who can live their lives. Yeah, me too. Have you ever seen it worsen headaches though? Yes. There are two main side effects of Botox that occur in in more than 5% of people and that's transient increase in headache and transient increase in neck pain. Mm -hmm. And so I have seen people experience 
worsening of their headache in general. Again, I could only count on one hand people for whom that wasn't only a temporary setback. Yeah. Most of the time, it's just an uncommon side effect. Right. I mean, I rarely see that myself, too. This has been such an exciting and informative show, Charles. I want to thank you so much for being here today on Aches and Gains. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Please join us on part two when we'll talk about the off-label or non-FDA-approved therapeutic uses of botulinum toxin A. For example, I use it for a condition called neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, which causes neck and arm pain, and a condition called piriformis syndrome, which causes buttock and leg pain. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.